Hey ladies and gents, welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. I am your host, Jared Weich. No Dominic this week as my co-host, but I have a different co-host this week. Last week's guest, and often guest of the show, Topher Noons, aka Chris Noons. How's it going, Chris? Doing well. Obviously, I'm a notorious wingman, so that's where I am today, and I'm helping out. <laughs> <laughs> nice, yeah. We're planning to have all three of us back again this week, but, you know, things change. So it's just us two this week. Got plenty of news to go through. Not really a huge topic on the show this week. There was a bunch of sales numbers that came out because a lot of large companies had their earnings calls. There was a bunch of dates shifting, which I'm sure will be a trend in 2021. We're likely yeah. going to be seeing a lot of video game dates changing. And some PS5 stuff and then some other acquisition type news that I wanted to get to um, but yeah, no major topic this week. Excited to get through these things because some of these sales have implications for the franchises. Some of them are just nice numbers. And then with the dates, man, I'm just worried that we could see a pretty barren landscape in terms of video game releases. Like I understand it because of COVID. Um, but where do you sit in terms of us likely getting a lot of delays this year? I, you know what, listening to, uh, Greg on kind of funny earlier this week, it was like, maybe halo drops and i was like whoa if there's if, if we're talking about major games like that going away there's a huge problem like i people that are frantic for these new consoles are going to find no games to play on them or at least not any new games to play on them which i feel like you're going to see a bunch of indies maybe this is the year of the indie and you're going to see like game of the year finally being uh, an indie developer yeah, who knows with all the major delays. And that's the funny thing with indies is that they're a lot more maneuverable because they are smaller scope projects a lot of time. But in the same breath, they're usually smaller studios with less developers on them, so they are likely to get delayed as well. So it's that middle ground of like, well, which indies are close to being done and which ones could try to push for a 2021 release seeing the open opportunity with a lack of AAA games. We'll see. Um, we did get some information about a new 2021 game coming later this year as well, and we'll see if that ends up hitting its release date. But let's get into it. First up, we got a sales roundup. We got a lot of uh, game sales being reported in terms of units sold. We'll start up with Pokemon Sword and Shield. It has sold through now 20.35 million units. It's the first Pokemon mainline entry since Gold and Silver to hit 20 million, and is already the third best-selling Pokemon game of all time, which is really impressive. Makes sense. Pokemon always sells. The Nintendo Switch, as we've seen, is a piece of hardware for Nintendo that is selling through the roof. And by the end of the Nintendo Switch's lifetime, I wouldn't be surprised if this gets near the 40, 50 million range with the way Pokemon sells. Um, as somebody who's not necessarily into Pokemon, but likely understands the selling power of the series, do these numbers surprise you for Sword and Shield? They don't surprise me for Pokemon. Um, even like with the upcoming Snap, uh, people are downplaying it, but I, I have a feeling like people, th there's a craving for something or anything um, Pokemon and especially like new Pokemon. So I feel like these games are destined to be 10 to 15 million just even based upon the name. And then you throw in the fact of how hot the Switch was and then you throw in COVID and you'll just watch the numbers on this and, and the reason why it's skyrocketed, I think. Well, and the thing I, I think I've realized too over the years is I have plenty of friends who buy a PlayStation or Xbox console and only play sports titles or Call of Duty. Whereas the friends I know who have bought in a Switch have at least bought in like Super Mario Odyssey or Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild or Pokemon games. Like if somebody owns a Nintendo Switch, they're very likely to get into one of those first party titles. So there's no surprise to me that the attach rate on a lot of them are astronomical in relation to the attach numbers we see for PlayStation or Xbox exclusive titles. Just because when people go to buy Nintendo hardware, they're there for the Nintendo games. So it's no, not surprising there. And sure. speaking of Nintendo, the next sales number, Animal Crossing New Horizons has sold 31 million units in nine months. Nine months. Uh, many people consider this game the game of 2020, obviously with COVID and the pandemic and everyone being in quarantine. People just wanted some social time with friends, with random strangers. And despite all of its online mishaps and archaic design philosophies uh, in terms of how you're able to travel to other islands, New Horizons just took off. Overall interest in terms of massive popularity has kind of waned in the last couple of months of 2020. But you don't just sell 31 million units in nine months by accident, right? No, I mean, 31 million units is a series for a lot of, of games. <laughs> yeah. So like... I mean, this is absolutely insane. 
again, right place, right time, COVID, uh, switch, people at home looking for communication with others or spending time with others. Um, and so it fit the bill, but I can't even imagine this even remotely hit what Nintendo was thinking it was going to hit. Like, my, I guess, I would guess the internals on this thought that maybe 10 to 15 million, uh, 20 max, but 31 million is just absolutely insane. And any Xbox or PlayStation studio right now uh, would die for a first party game that was at 31 million. Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do too with New Horizons, though there have been some really solid Animal Crossing titles since the GameCube release. I think there was a lapsed audience there that wanted to get back into the series, myself included, in a major way. And with the Nintendo Switch being such a good piece of hardware and the pandemic hitting, it was like the perfect storm of, let me get back into this franchise I loved when I was a kid, right? And people sure. just picked it up. It was the word of mouth uh, marketing in terms of people hearing, hey, what are you doing during quarantine? I'm ha having trouble finding ways to entertain myself for hours. And people are like, hey, man, have you ever heard of you know Animal Crossing New Horizons? Uh, check it out. It's really fun. You can design your own island. You can hang out with friends. And I think the social aspect is what really took it up a notch in a world where people just wanted to socialize with other people. And that kind of overcame, like I said before, the lackluster online features of this title of, you know, every time somebody flies into an island, everyone pauses and has to wait for that person to land. You have to match their menus to be able to fly somewhere. Like, by no means is it a perfect title. But I do think the special memories and experiences people built with one another kind of outweighed that to where you were able to just overlook the gripes about the game. Um, sure. And then the seasonal events, right? You have reasons to come back throughout the year with new items, new events, and updates that introduce new creatures to the world or maybe new mini games in it. And it, it's Animal Crossing is a series that's built so well in terms of entertaining whoever purchases it throughout the year because the game's calendar is based on real life. Um, so you can kind of play along with it. You can dip out during the summer and maybe you want to come back for the holidays and, you know, experience how Halloween is in Animal Crossing. I'm just impressed. I figured this game was going to sell all 31 million units in less than a year is wild. Um, you know, the quarantine doesn't seem like it's going anywhere anytime soon. So by the time a year reaches, I don't know where this is going to land. I think 50 would be rather bullish, but I do think it'll, probably hit 35 million probably by March. Um, and we're talking about the first year of this game. It's probably going to have legs for a while. So it's going to be incredible to see where this ends up. Yeah, you're talking about a game that's in one of every three consoles. Like, I mean, the the adoption rate on this game is just absolutely insane. Like, if you have a Switch, chances are you have Animal Crossing. And the fact that this isn't a Mario or a Zelda title is just baffling to me. It's got to be baffling to Nintendo. And my guess is they've, they're trying to think of ways of how quickly can we get another one of these out. Yeah, and I think it's really cool for Animal Crossing because it went from a semi-popular video game franchise with a very strong core community to now it's like mainstream to now i think you ask the average kid and they're talking about mario and zelda as much as they're talking about animal crossing and that's really awesome for a series that has been beloved for so long but necessarily hasn't had the stage as other other titles for nintendo so we'll see where it lands up it's really crazy to see um next up this one was weird on the internet i don't know if you follow this chris where the sales numbers for spider-man miles morales came out and depending on what side of the crowd you were viewing, it was either viewed as a disappointment or as viewed as an astronomical success, which is odd because I kind of just see it somewhere in the middle where it's like, oh yeah, it sold well for what you'd expect. So Spider-Man Miles Morales, for those who didn't know, um, ended up selling 4.1 million units in its first two months. Now you might be saying 4 million copies in two months. That sounds incredible. And in a vacuum, it is a really good sales numbers for a title. Um, but the thing here is that to compare it directly to the previous entry in the series, Marvel's Spider-Man sold 3.3 million units in three days. Um, and there's some weird things in terms of comparison there because Miles Morales is a smaller scoped game. It was a cheaper title in many ways. Um, but the counter argument to that, Chris, is this game released on two different consoles. This game did have a cheaper uh, price point, so you would assume it might sell more units because of the cheaper price point. Why do you think Miles Morales didn't sell in the same way that Marvel Spider-Man is? I think it's a combination of people who were waiting for the PS5 who did not want to purchase the PS4 version, and then there was a shortage of the PS5 or the inability to get it rather quickly. Uh, the pricing, which 
a lot of folks weren't comfortable with for a air quotes shorter title and also the packaging in with spider-man so that my that miles morales that ultimate edition that included both i don't know if those numbers are mixed in with this or if they include those numbers in with spider-man so it, maybe these numbers would be higher if that was the case uh, but i think it's a combination of all three and i honestly i think the biggest biggest one is the fact that ps5s were so hard to get and so those folks who got ps5s you know somewhere in the i would guess three three and a half million range most of them took on miles morales initially because like that was the game that was the the game to showcase the the ps5 uh and now it's kind of died down because the availability to get these consoles again has died down yeah and i wonder if it's one of those things where the messaging outweighed the quality of the game in which generally people thought like this wasn't a true sequel so they could wait on it to your point of well, if I'm just going to wait on it, might as well wait for the PS5 version. I can't get a PS5 right now. I'm just going to wait, right? So you, though it's also available on PS4, it didn't sell what people thought in terms of the install base for PS4 because a lot of those people are like, well, the, the experience is going to be better on PS5. Let me just wait for the PS5, right? Sure. Um, it, it is interesting. Once again, I want to say it sold really well. Like it's To sell 4 million copies in two months is really good for a video game. It's just when you directly compare it to its predecessor and a lot of the other major PlayStation exclusive franchises, you know, Last of Us Part Two, Marvel Spider-Man, these games are selling millions of units in like days. So to see Miles Morales kind of do 4.1 million in two months is kind of strange in comparison. But like I said, if you if you pair this to like third party games and other titles, it's not that surprising. It's actually really good numbers. But it, you know, we don't measure things in a vacuum like that. You have to look at it by its contemporaries. And yeah, it is strange and we'll see what happens. And it is unfortunate because I do think the game's really good. And Miles Morales is an awesome character. And thankfully, these numbers aren't as bad to make PlayStation question whether or not he should be on the cover of like the next Spider-Man game or whatever. Sure. sure. Um, but it is interesting. And I do think to your point, it's more of a... The PlayStation launch and everything surrounding that, I think, had more of an effect on the game than the game itself, if that makes sense. Um, next up, this one's pretty interesting. Resident Evil 3 Remake has sold 3.6 million units, which now has outsold the original, which lifetime sales for it was 3.5 million. And it did it in just nine months. Now, if you've kept up with video game news, you would know that the RE2 Remake also outsold the original RE2. And... You know, we can sit here and say like, well, yeah, they, you know, they remade these games, higher quality, they modernized them. But I do think part of it too is in terms of the gaming industry as a whole, there's a lot more customers out there too, right, Chris? Like in the modern age, when you release a game, you're very likely to outsell the original just because there's more gamers per capita buying video games and not to discredit Resident Evil. Um, but I do think that also plays a role in it, especially with like a niche franchise uh, and genre like horror survival I wasn't a huge fan of the RE3 remake. I was more of a fan of the RE2 remake. Um, but, you know, these sales numbers don't shock me at all. And I think we'll probably see the same thing happen with RE4 when and if that happens. For Resident Evil and these remakes and them outselling the originals, Chris, what do you think is there for Capcom in terms of continuing this process? I think that this is just a sign that this is kind of the baseline for them, three, three and a half million when they do these remakes. Um, as long as they're doing them from the ground up and they're not just kind of porting stuff over, they do take time. They, they give care to the, to the product. Uh, and there's a whole brand new generation who, I, as much as you say these are classics, don't want to play a PS1 or a PS2 version of a game. And so when with they tank gonna, controls and bad camera controls, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just look at Dark Souls. Like, I mean, look at how many people were craving, and that's, and we're talking about just like a PS2 game. You know what I mean? So, like, you have people that are, are desperate to see HDR, 4K on my big TV. What can I play? And then you also get the hype of the RE2, which then rolls into RE3. So, 3.6, I mean, the, the funny thing is, is we're talking about Spider-Man at 4.1, and then you're talking about just a remake of a game at 3.6. So there's a big, disp I mean, only you're talking about 500,000 uh, discrepancy between a classic and a brand new game. That's, that's not a much, that's not a big difference. Yeah. We do need to clarify seven months between those, you know, Spider-Man's mm -hmm. wasn't sure. two months and RE3 remake was in nine months, but yeah, it's, it's very close. And you mentioned the older games. I actually went and tried to play Resident Evil Remaster. 
So not even the original game, the remaster that came out, and I found it clunky, and I didn't have a fun time with it, and I just didn't have... I, I couldn't enjoy myself and it was tough because you hear all these people having good memories about it and I do think Resident Evil much like the Metal Gear Solid series at least the early titles are games in which the nostalgia and familiarity with the controls overcome its lack and ability to hold up in a modern sensibility and that's why I'm really hoping that Metal Gear Solid 1 and 2 get remade uh and modernized maybe by Blue Point, whoever it is, if rumors are true, right? And with Resident Evil, I hope they go back and re-remake RE1 because as classic and beloved as they are, I just, to your point, I don't think they hold up with modern gamers in the same way. The other thing that's nice about these for, for places like Capcom is you're not having to create anything. The only thing you're redo is, is you're, re you're making remaking the game from the ground up, obviously, but you're not creating the brand new franchise. So this... This is a gap. These are nice gap games where if you're trying to create like a brand new game like they are, you know, where they're coming out with something this year, in between those years, if you've got like a two year gap, you can have still be making an income off of a brand name where it'll get the hype level for people to coming into the series to get into the new the new game that you're producing. Yeah, and I do think people underestimate how difficult it is to. You know, we talk about new IPs, right? Starting from the ground up with a brand new game. But even then, creating a new game and story in a franchise people already know is difficult too because you have to work with the lore that's already been established. You have to understand character complexities. And when you're remaking a game that already exists, yeah, you can modernize it in some ways and maybe change up some game mechanics or locations of items to make it refreshing for longtime fans. But the structure and overall, like, base of the game is all there. You're just, like, recreating assets modernizing aspects of the game and it's not some like big herculean task that you have to overcome sure. and like you said it gives them time to like breathe and catch their breath while they're working on something new and be like let's just have fun with this let's get something people already know and love and make it modern you know so it's really yeah. cool and i wonder if you know capcom was in a bad place like half a decade ago in terms of their relationship with their fans and over the course of this last generation they've rebuilt that with uh, the Resident Evil remakes with RE7 specifically. You talk about uh, Devil May Cry, right? Like they're and Monster Hunter World. They're hitting on all cylinders. And I wonder if these other publishers that are having difficulty figuring out how to exist in a game industry where new projects are taking four, five, six years. Let's dip back into our catalog and give people what they want that's sitting in the vault. You know. So yeah, we'll see what I mean, happens. Look at look at like a. Uh, uh developed like Konami like they could totally do this they could revamp some of their older games and Castlevania so like this this would be a perfect model for a Konami to do like pull a Capcom and like like you said the beginning of the Xbox era remember how bad Capcom was it was like it, it was desperation time like they were they were in there was talk of them getting bought out and everything so it's a complete 180 uh at the beginning of this new console generation yeah, shout out to the RE engine, which is one of the best video game engines currently in the industry. That thing is so beautiful. Whenever they unveil a new game, like this is incredible. Also recently found out it doesn't stand for Resident Evil engine. It's just, uh, I forgot what the actual name is, but everyone associates it as the RE engine because it's with all the new RE, RE sure, games. So sure. found that pretty funny. So that's all the sales numbers out of the way. I know, very exciting stuff, but I thought a lot of that stuff was worth mentioning and talking about. Next up, let's talk about some new dates. We have... Video games that we knew were coming out this year with brand new dates. We have stuff that's being moved. As we mentioned, delays are going to happen this year. Probably more often than we all hope or wish would happen, but it's just the way the cookie crumbles. Let's start off with this. MLB The Show is coming to PS4, PS5, Xbox One, and Xbox Series X on April 20th, 2021. Now you may be asking yourself, Jared, MLB The Show, isn't that developed by Sony San Diego and isn't that a PlayStation exclusive? Yes, uh, astute viewer and listener, that was the case. But remember, last year they announced that this game would be coming to other platforms. Seems like it was the MLB pushing to get a simulation title on all platforms, probably because they want more money. Duh. Yeah. Um, and as beloved as the MLB is, it doesn't rake in the numbers that NBA 2K or Madden do just simply due to the interest of the fan base. Like They just don't sell the same way. They sell really well and they review very well but not in the same way. And I do think the MLB is like, we have an opportunity for more money, duh. And maybe PlayStation fought back a little bit and were like, well, we don't, we want it to be exclusive. It's, you know, a power move on our end to be able to have people push our platform. And MLB was probably like, 
well, then we'll just take the license, <laughs> you know? So they're probably between a rock and a hard place. And for Sony, it's like, well, do we publish it on other platforms and still retain the prestige and revenue from the title of it being under our umbrella? Sure. Or do we relinquish the, the, you know, the license altogether? What did you think about this? Are you excited for it to come to other platforms? And uh, yeah, how is MLB The Show to you in terms of a baseball game? MLB The Show is the creme de la creme. Um, and a lot of other games could do by watching what they do especially like some of the upgrades that they make versus like stuff that's done in fiva or even in madden because they've they've completely just like taken over as one of the best uh in in you know san, san diego is just like one of the best studios as far as sports games are concerned they, they punch these out like clockwork the the thing about xbox and i'm excited for xbox to be able to have an opportunity to have this game because it's a shame that only playstation owners were able to play this is this is kind of their shit or get off the pot moment. Like you need to go out there and purchase MLB the show on Xbox yep. because this game needs to be purchased or Sony's going to be like, see, we told you, like, why are we producing all of this and figuring it out for two different consoles when nobody's purchasing it? So like, if you're a major league baseball fan and you're on Xbox, this is your opportunity and you need to come out in droves. And I remember watching like all of these people in on Reddit and like in different threads, you know, how come we can't have it? We don't have a major league title. This is UBS. This is the chance. So I, I feel like this is an opportunity for Xbox to really shine and, and put their money where their mouth is. And the good thing to your point is, I, you know, I talked about how NBA 2K and Madden outsell this game. Not talking about quality here. Like the MLB The Show is usually one of the best reviewed sports games every year it comes out. And... You're not going to be supporting something with Madden where a lot of people feel it has a lot of issues that need to be resolved and fixed. You're going to be supporting a quality title, so don't feel like your money is going to a wasted cause. And if you're somebody who does have the expendable income, who is like partially invested in baseball and isn't a huge fan, I would say maybe do your part too. I'm not, you know, not forcing you to buy a video game you're not going to play. But there's plenty of people out there with expendable income that are like, yeah, I want to support this because I want people to be able to have this experience on this platform. And if you're some, somebody capable of doing that in the current situation we all find ourselves in, you might want to look into that. Um, but there's plenty of baseball fans on Xbox and I just hope they show up and show out and if this game comes out and has incredible reviews and it sells well, I think it'll do great things for the MLB in general. Uh, we often don't talk about this, but you know, the NFL is the number one sport in terms of popularity in the United States. Basketball is number two, um, not necessarily close there. And baseball is number three, and it's been that way for a while, and it's been teetering. And there's a lot of reasons for that we can get into on, an, on another conversation. But I do think one thing that has hurt it in some capacity is – the only simulation experience being tied to one platform. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I'm I'm hoping that this brings new life into MLB for a new generation of kids that may, maybe don't play the sport physically, but they see this sports title on their thing and then they get interested in it. And then maybe they do join a baseball league in real life. And even if they don't, maybe they get interested in the sport in some capacity, you know? So I, I think the other thing that we're, we're kind of, we're not touching base on is also the fact that it's going to be on Xbox Play Anywhere. So, like, you can literally yeah. play this game on PC, which then opens up to another whole audience, which is, yep. like, outside of the Xbox ecosystem. So, I mean, sports are universal. This game should be on everything, just like Madden, just like NBA. Like, it should be just every platform should be able to have an opportunity to have a sports game on it because there are tons of fans. And if a little kid can play on his PC or on his, you know, iPad or whatever because of Xbox, like, that's fantastic. Exactly. Uh, people should have the ability to check out new and exciting things and not be limited to, well, you know, you don't own a PlayStation, so therefore you'll never be able to play a solid baseball game. It sucks. Sure. Uh, even as somebody for me, I'm not a ba huge baseball fan at all. I understand the importance of giving people the opportunity to experience that. And I'm going to actually be buying MLB The Show when it comes out as, awesome. a, as a sign of support because I am interested in baseball partially, but not in the same way I'm American football or basketball. But I do want to show that it deserves to be on the platform. Uh, put your money where your mouth is. We own it every uh, year on, on on PlayStation. It's absolutely a fantastic title. Yeah. Uh, next up, speaking about a game that I'm super excited about, the Mass Effect Legendary Edition has been dated May 14th, 2021. It's going to be including all the DLC packs from the games, minus one from Mass Effect 1 that was corrupted, and there's a very interesting story about that you should look up about that specific DLC because it was developed by a different studio and all of the files for it got corrupted, so they had a tough time bringing that up uh, in the remasters. Uh, next up, it's going to have improved mechanics for ME1, 
So the shooting and movement is going to feel a lot more like ME2 and ME3, which is great. The yeah, the loading times for the elevator in ME1 have been reduced from 53 seconds all the way down to 12. <laughs> 53 uh, seconds. <laughs> yeah. And one thing people forget is uh, the elevator often has some side conversations and dialogue that are interesting to people who are into the lore, but, you know, it's not for everybody. The cool thing with that is even though the loading for the elevator takes 12 seconds, uh, maybe you want to sit in the elevator and continue hearing the conversation. For those who don't, you can skip that and just get to the, your next point if you want to. Um, you know, gatekeepers like to say that you need to pay attention to all the lore, but maybe some people are just interested in the main storyline and you shouldn't be held hostage to that type of stuff, in my opinion, anyways. Um, though I highly recommend listening to every tidbit you can because I love the world of Mass Effect. Uh, it's going to be in 4K HDR and the character model enhancements are fully redone as well. This is something that Andy Cortez and uh, Paris Lilly from Kind of Funny mentioned on their preview of the game that wasn't really talked about in the trailer for the Legendary Edition. And they had character turnarounds for all of the major companions and it showed the old models and then it showed the new models and they were completely blown away. Another neat addition is that you'll be able to play with Fem Shep from Mass Effect 1 all the way through Mass Effect 3 which is a really dope change. I myself am a female Shep canon person, uh, so I'm glad to be able to go through with that. Uh, yeah, there's plenty of points in which we can start this conversation, uh, but I guess just your general thoughts on this Legendary Edition, its release date, and all of that, Chris. I'm just excited that it's out now. Like, we people have been speculating and, and wanting this for such a long time that the fact that they added and made all of these additions, especially with having all the DLC, I mean, if you haven't played Mass Effect, there's bazillions of DLC. Like, you're going to be playing yeah. Mass Effect forever. Um, the Elusive Man is, like, probably one of the best uh, that I've played. And uh, I started backwards. It was, like, this really weird... I started with RE, or ME2, then I went to ME3, then I went to ME1. Like, it was, like, going, like, full circle, <laughs> uh, only because I had started really late in the 360 generation. But... I have such fond memories of ME2 that it, it like, I, like I didn't even mind how it ended with ME3 with the, with a lot of the complaints. It was just it, like that storytelling, uh, by that that is Bioware. Like to me, that like so all the stuff with Anthem and all the other stuff that goes on with Bioware, like ME2 and 3 are Bioware to me. So, um, it's just it's I'm glad that they changed the the shooting mechanics in one because they're absolutely horrendous. The driving is also absolutely horrendous. So I'm glad that that was fixed as well kind of bummed that there's no ps5 or series x version of it but i mean i don't feel like it's gonna ruin anything if you play it on a four i mean you're still gonna get it in 4k it's just not gonna have all the bells and whistles but uh, at this point i don't think that they could have gone much farther with this and the femshep thing being able to play all the way through is just fantastic because i played femshep and it was that's canon for me as well like that's that's how the game is played so um, just really excited all in general. And I'm happy for the, for the any fans who have been clamoring for this for years because N seven day every year, they're like, when are we going to get it? When are we going to get it? And now yeah. finally, so, so happy for them. Uh, and yeah, the best way I like to describe the games is that Mass Effect 1 is like the most RPG, Mass Effect 3 is the most action. And the reason ME2 is often considered the best of the trilogy and one of the best games of all time is it meets in the middle in a very almost like serendipitous and perfect way. Um, I absolutely love the Mass Effect games. I think one thing that gets lost often in conversations, Chris, is people focus so much on the controversial ending of ME3 that sure. the quality of that game, you know, minus that ending, that game is still a very good video game. And I think people get far, far often too caught up on the ending and the ending's bad, the ending's bad. So there, therefore people overlook the fact that the game itself as a whole was a really good experience. And I was baffled by the amount of people on my social media timeline that have never played the games. So I'm excited for people to hop in. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm just so excited. I, you've heard it before. Mass Effect 2 is my favorite game of all time. And I can go on and on and on about why I love th this video game series and why, honestly, when looking at sci-fi world, it's one of my favorites uh, just because of the way they set up everything. You mentioned DLC, Lair of the Shadow Broker, also incredible. Sure. Um, most people often consider it up there with Minerva's Den for like one of the best pieces of DLC in gaming. Um, I just am thankful that they took their time. This wasn't a Super Mario collection port to the Nintendo Switch, right? Where they uh, switched the aspect ratio for one of the games, and that's pretty much it, and they delivered it there. And yeah, who knows what kind of bugs or issues this is going to have, but 
Honestly, Chris, I wouldn't be surprised if the reason we don't have a PS5 or Xbox Series X version is that that's going to be the pre-order pack-in for Mass Effect 4. Yeah, I'm like, hey, you pre-order thought, yeah. this game, you get the PS5 version of the Legendary Edition, you know what I mean? I could totally thought, see that happening. The other thing I thought was this is a great way to test the waters. How many fans are, have felt burnt and how many people are willing to come back and give them another opportunity or have never played the series so they don't really, they don't have an entry point. So this gives folks, again, who are playing two generations before, uh, kind of like we were talking about previously with like RE2, like you're going back two generations. So there's there are people that are my kid's age that have never touched this game, have no idea what it is. And when yep. you get it with all the bells and whistles in 4K and HDR, all of a sudden it becomes a really fantastic game again, and it might stir up enough interest in the next one that it helps lift that part, you know, lift and forget Anthem and move, you know, we're moving back to this. Yeah, a clean slate for Bioware too, of like erase the Anthem and Mass Effect Andromedas, and let's start here, and this is Bioware moving forward to where we remembered Bioware. Right. And as we're getting older, Chris, the exciting thing for me is I remember being a kid in experiencing certain aspects of sci-fi whether it's star wars or whether it's high fantasy with lord of the rings and experiencing something and immediately getting an interest in it and finding something you love and i do think that's going to happen for some kids who maybe don't have that sci-fi video game series for them and they'll play this for the first time and be like oh this is incredible how did i never know this existed and they don't have to do the thing that I just mentioned about going back to the original Resident Evil and having a tough time with it, right? Sure, they can sure. get into something that's been modernized so it feels more like the gaming experiences they're having on a day-to-day -day basis this time around. April 20th can't come soon. Uh, not Sorry, not April 20th. That's for MLB The Show. May 14th can't come soon enough as well. Uh, busy week in May in terms of video game releases. That's, uh, I believe, Biomutant's coming out around there. Resident Evil Village is coming out in May. Very busy month. And that seems like that's going to kind of be the starting point. Like late April, early May is like when things get going for video games. Yeah. And that makes sense. Yeah. Like the four month buffer for people to get situated with 2021. Uh, next up, Prince of Persia Sands of Time remake. You might not remember this, but this was unveiled in late 2020. People were excited that this remake existed. But when people saw the footage for the game, looked pretty rough. Yep. Turns out it got delayed to this year. This week, we got the announcement. It's been delayed indefinitely. Ubisoft heard the fan feedback, and I'm glad that they just didn't delay this till they didn't come out and say, oh, it's coming out holiday 2021, and then we get there, and then it gets delayed again. Uh, as tough as it is to read for Prince of Persia fans, being delayed indefinitely, I think, is the best thing for this game because now there's no set timeline. The next time we see it, whether it's in a year, year and a half, two years, we'll see it, and it'll have a release date attached to their firmly confident behind and they don't have to play this game of drip feeding information so people forget how bad the initial reveal was right yeah i mean this is very similar to what they just did we talked about this last week about what they had done with uh that ship game that they were talking they had talked about they delayed that indefinitely it's just like if, if it comes out or things don't look right U ubisoft doesn't have a problem with just shelving it for a bit like they'd, they'd rather let it cook a little bit in the oven than send out something half-baked and then just have to deal with the repercussions and you only get one crack at remaking Prince of Persia because if they have an opportunity to bring this series back, this is going to be the entryway. And so they don't want to screw this up. Exactly. Like it's different from Mass Effect in the sense that, that you know, Bioware and EA know they can make Mass Effect 4 and it'll sell really well regardless because it's a known quantity. Whereas if Ubisoft messes up this Prince of Persia remake, fans will likely never see another game in the series. You know what I mean? If it, it's bad or it doesn't sell well, so... We'll see what happens there. Um, you know, they Ubisoft also has Rainbow Six Quarantine. Poor name now in a yeah, post-2020 right. world. So I would love to see the reaction internally to how they had a maneuver around that game and when we'll see it next. But uh, wild. Next up. Yeah. yeah, it's it's insane. Uh, there was an Activision earning call uh, that stated that Overwatch 2 and this Diablo 4. <laughs> huh? This one hurt my feelings. Yeah, Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4 are not expected in 2021. Why did this hurt your feelings, Chris? Uh, this hurt my feelings because of our uh, 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 podcast about two or three weeks ago where I bet on Overwatch 2 coming out. <laughs> I had I had thoughts that Overwatch 2 would be out, and it is not. It happens. Happens to the best of us. You can't get them all right. No. Uh, Diablo 4 is the least surprising one because 
especially with all the mobile issues and everything mm-hmm. going on over there. Yeah. I wasn't surprised that this one's kind of not expected anytime soon. The Overwatch 2 one, from the initial release where it's like, it's not really a sequel, but it is a sequel. I'm like, well, how long is this going to take in development? And at this point, I'm thinking maybe their whole structure for the game has changed too. Maybe it's not this simple like 1.5 new edition. And it is, oh no, we're just making a full-on-fledged sequel right at this point. Um, Blizzard... So. Blizzard and Activision would... in general are in a weird spot. Sorry, go ahead, Chris. No, no, I was I was just going to say, yeah, I think so. Like, at this point, and then also after the fact that Activision has, and, and like with Blizzard, where they're cutting back on all of these titles, they're going to be more like Rockstar, like where they're focused, and like it might be three or four years, four, five years, you know what I mean? Like every, you get a banger, but it's, you got to wait, you got to take some time in order to get it. And with Diablo, they cannot screw that up. That franchise is just so important to them, especially to Blizzard. It's just like, you cannot f this up like it has to be what it needs to be because they've had so many bad issues with announcing and how how blizzcon went and, and they're just they cannot afford any more bad press yeah they they can't um and it, it is a bummer that these two games aren't coming out but i don't know if these are games that everyone is super excited or needs right now especially with like overwatch 2 overwatch league seems to be doing pretty well people who are playing overwatch are still playing overwatch um yeah, I don't think they're like as heartbreaking as if we were to hear Halo Infinite or Horizon Zero, uh, Forbidden West. Sorry, uh, were delayed out of twenty twenty one. I think these ones are like, yeah, I get it. You know, it's a for someone like you who predicted. You know, it's a, a huge bummer. But for the average like audience, I don't know if they care all that much about these games not making twenty twenty one. No, these games of service. It's just weird that there needs to be like a Overwatch two. Like I don't understand why they just don't do what WoW does and just pivot like with seasons and stuff like that and just play it that way. Like continue with what they're doing, add new things into the game. I can't imagine the systems are so you know antiquated that they can't make additions onto this game and then just upres to the new consoles and then figure it out from there. To have to come out with the, the term sequel, as it just it doesn't make a lot of sense. It, it makes more sense to do what like Destiny does and just kind of you know plot out like a year figure out what it's going to be add all the add the additions onto that and then kind of move forward so uh, there uh, to me there isn't as you mentioned there isn't really a need to have a sequel if you have a player base that's already happy and content with what's there by just adding additional characters but i do think that the what we're seeing here is activision getting you know having further control over blizzard because the two things you mentioned there the wow thing that was blizzard before being with activision it's something they had established for a long time right Mm-hmm. With Destiny, we saw the whole reason Destiny, uh, you know, Bungie wanted to split from Activision is because they wanted to almost annualize Destiny and have all of these sequels and numerous entries, whereas Bungie themselves wanted to do what you just said, which they've done since leaving, of here's an entire roadmap. We're probably not making Destiny 3 anytime soon, but we're going to make Destiny 2 an evolving and growing game. So I think really the issue here with needing a sequel, quote-unquote, is Activision. It's the influence of Call of Duty, right? That's sure. the whole point why they're trying to push towards that. Um, and we'll see what happens. Uh, ever since Blizzard got acquired for, by Activision, it's been on the downturn in terms of public perception, their actions, and yeah, just it's a real bummer, especially with all the recent stuff that's happened. Um, but yeah, no Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4 in 2021. Sorry for those of you who care about that. It's unfortunate. Next up, another earnings call. Uh, EA talked about the new Battlefield that's coming out. They're going to be revealing it in the spring of 2021. It's going to be releasing in holiday 2021. They pitched it as an all-out military warfare, takes advantage of next-gen systems, more players than ever, and it'll redefine the Battlefield series. So a lot of like buzzword like marketing stuff that we're not surprised to hear. I do think they do the spring 2021 reveal. But with everything going on, Chris, how confident are you that this game does hit that holiday 2021 release? Not at all. Like, literally not at all. In fact, I would have hoped that they would have came out with Battlefront 3 versus coming out with this new Battlefield set for spring 2021. Because it would have made more sense to me. But this just seems like, you know, ambitious EAs trying to get something out the door. And I, like, I, it's great to say, we're going to take advantage of this, and there's going to be more players than ever. And then you see what happened to um, Call of Duty, where they had to, like, scale that back when they when Activision initially said what was going to happen as far as the multiplayer and how many people were going to be involved. So I just can't foresee any of this happening, or at least happening in the manner which they hope it's going to happen this year. Yeah, and the big thing to talk about, too, is the last Battlefield was a good game, but it had a Battle Royale mode that, like, failed like sadly just burned out and died on the vine and we're in a world now where 
Call of Duty has Warzone. And remember when the Battlefield Battle Royale came out, it was competing with Blackout, which was the Black Ops version, which was nowhere near as beloved and liked as Warzone was. Obviously, there's some issues with Warzone currently. But, like, they're competing with a whole other product that's way better than the one they were competing with when it died out. So I'm interested to see if they even try competing in the Battle Royale realm. Or they're like, yeah, we tried it. Not for us. Let's do large-scale war, which is something that Call of Duty hasn't really delivered. And make it, like, a defining first-person experience on next-gen. And I could totally see this bouncing to spring 2022. Like, yeah, we're just delaying till early next year. It's not coming out in the holiday. We'll see. Well, they could do the thing all... too where they count like early January's holiday as well, you know, and sure. shit or whatever. I, it's just funny when I hear all out military warfare, I just think of like that Call of Duty boots on the ground type. You know, oh, just, yeah. like, just, just like boots those, on the tag, ground. those taglines that are just like meaningless. What, you know, I just, Battlefield is such a secondary to, to Call of Duty to me. Like, it's almost like a, it's, it's like a poor man's on Call of Duty. Like, I, I, they keep producing them and I would think that, you know, maybe they should take some more time off of this. Like, and I, I'm actually shocked that they didn't try to pump out one more Disney product before, you know, all of this information came across. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is I doubt we would ever get a battlefront and a battlefield in the same year. Mm -hmm. So them saying this in an earnings call means that there's no shot. We're getting battlefront three anytime soon. Um, which is like, okay, then does that mean we get battlefront two, a battlefront three in 2022. And then we get star Wars Jedi fallen order two in 2023, right? As the, deals so ending yeah. Yeah. who knows we'll see um next up we got some playstation 5 news and updates first up ps5 has shipped 4.0 million units as of 12 31 20 that's december 31st which is on pace with the ps4 um you know sony wanted ps5 to outperform the playstation 4 but it seems like the largest hurdle for it is the ability to manufacture enough units to sell them seems like they're just constrained by the bottle cap of the consoles themselves being made um how what do you feel about it you know remember it's shipped not sold so keep that in mind as well everyone that's listening it's, there's a difference there but 4.5 million units on pace with ps4 how does that sit with you um i mean you're talking about four and a half million units in the month and a half so i mean and honestly that that number could have easily been at least one and a half times more than that if they would have been able to have enough so the fact that they just can't get the the chips manufactured fast enough and in fact they said that there was going to be a shortage all the way up until at least the middle of the year says to me that like that number could have been seven eight easily i mean I, there are tons of people that still want playstations that just can't get their hands on them so i have a feeling that if you're on the board with playstation and you have some money involved there you can you're not happy with it but you realize that it has to do with covid and know that your system has an opportunity to be even bigger in the upcoming year uh, and moving into 2022. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting when these big first party titles come out and people can't get their hands on these, on these consoles. Right. And the same thing for Xbox, like it's selling really well too, obviously probably at a lower pace than PS five, but it's having the same issues. Like they're just not able to make enough consoles to meet demand. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see when that plays out because they're, uh, manufacturing is going to be halted as as long as a PS5 is. Um, there's another piece of news here that's interesting that goes hand in hand with the PS5, and that's that the hardware is selling at a loss. So the retail price is below manufacturing cost, which is something most of us assumed. Um, and it's often what happens with hardware is that it does sell at a loss and then they make it up on the software side of things. Now, the difference in terms of the parts for the consoles, if... PlayStation's console is selling at a loss. I'd imagine that Xbox is selling at an even larger loss when you look at everything considered. Um, and I, some people were worrying about this, but I don't know why anybody's worrying. This is what we've seen for generations at this point now. And I wonder at what point in which it isn't selling at a loss. Do you think that's the mid-generation refresh? Like how long are we going to have to wait to see these companies not have to take such a huge hit on their hardware? Yeah, I would guess it'd be similar to this console cycle at the two-year mark where they where they start making up ground on it, like you said, when they do a refresh on it. Because there's going to be a PS5 Pro or whatever they decide to call it. A slim as well, slim. like a smaller version. Yeah, yeah, I mean, both of them have to be paying an arm and a leg. They're both in bed with AMD, so that's the reason why they're having a difficult time getting these things shipped out because they AMD can't pump out the products fast enough for them to make these consoles. And of course, they're going to sell at a loss because Xbox came in at such a low price. And so they felt like they had to compete. And in order to do so, they had an inkling of where this was going. That that price tag of the $499 was the big, was the big deal. And 
So maybe they were initially thinking $5.99 was going to be the price tag. And when they got word that that was the case, they were like, well, it's either sink or swim. We like, like we have to stay where we're at in order to compete with our competitor. We have to lower the price. Unfortunately, we're going to have to eat it early. But, you know, maybe they're thinking within a year and a half. I just don't think that they anticipated the fact that AMD wasn't going to be able to get these uh, chips to these folks fast enough. And now they're going to be heading into summer, which is what, probably when at least one of their major titles, if not two of their major titles, will be out. And at that point, then it's like, okay, now what do we do if we can't sell our products fast enough? Which is why they're also combining PS4 and PS5 with the titles, because they have to try to make up for the loss on the PS5 that they can't get out on PS4 on, on back. I mean, it also has to do with the fact that there's over 100 million units out, but, you know, currently that's helping them. That's saving them because they can get, still get the product out to customers. Yeah, I mean, these games don't have small budgets, right? <laughs> they have tremendously no. large budgets. So it's a good way to make out the money. Uh, we'll see what happens. I, I don't think it's a huge issue for the time being, but it's going to be interesting to see how everything plays out. And I, Actually, you kind of sold me on the fact that maybe Xbox is taking less of a hit mm -hmm. on their stuff because uh, Sony wanted to be so aggressive. Also, from you know what we heard in terms of the parts they got for the consoles, it seems like... Sony wanted to be extra careful in terms of cooling the unit. That's why it's so large, right? That's why it's the giant flaps. And I wonder if their over-engineering also cost them on the manufacturing end as well to where it is, you know, they're eating more money than Xbox because of that, you know? Sure. So. And like you said, as years as years pass, product cost goes down because it's old tech and you can make things for less and, and move on and make and start making money off the console as well. Yeah, and the, the the thing here, too, is how are the dominoes going to fall in terms of the expandable storage? Like, is Sony going to be less comfortable doing price declines on that stuff because that's where they'll make some of it on the back end of officially licensing stuff, right? Uh, and, not, you know, kind of balancing the, the cost loss for the consoles. We'll see how everything plays out. It's still wild to me that they don't have a solution so far for their console. They're they just like, need, yeah. There's no games out. They don't need it right now. There's nothing to, like, there's not going to be anything major out until May. So they just bought themselves an additional six months. Yeah, I guess that's true. That's the benefit of that. Um, let's get into the next bit of news here. This is just other news. So not specific grouping, just some other stuff we want to talk about. First up, Embracer Group. That name sounds familiar. That's the large conglomerate that owns THQ Nordic and like 75 <laughs> development studios. They recently purchased Gearbox for $363 million. Um, this is interesting. Uh, one thing I thought when I initially read this headline is, oh, that means Randy Pitchford is certainly out. That means that that dude's gone. Like, why would anybody on earth buy a company that he's running and keep him around? But he's around still. So I wonder if he it was like a package deal. Like, well, no, I'm one of the sole owners of the company. So if you buy them, I'm around too. Unless we see an announcement that he's gone in the coming months. But overall, I don't know. This, for better or worse, this totally seems like an Embracer Group purchase for Gearbox. They're not somebody I see a whole lot of value in. I know Borderlands sells well. But other than that, on this podcast, we've talked about numerous times the head-scratching publishing choices that they've made. Because obviously Gearbox has a publishing section to their company. Uh, you know, they did, oh God, what was the Gears of War type game that they republished for like a remaster? Oh man, name's escaping me. Uh, I'm trying to think of it now. That uh, but then they did Battleborn, and they did like yeah. a bunch of other stuff that was like very questionable. Battleborn was I, just terrible. Yeah, so wrong place, wrong time. Uh, some people are worried that Embrace Group's getting too large for their own good because they have all these games that we haven't even heard of, which I'm not too worried about. And with this Gearbox thing, I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to like crap on Gearbox necessarily, but they're not a studio. I'm like excited about or worried about either way of them getting purchased i'm just like yeah that's a game studio that got purchased and i know there's tons of borderlands fans out there and i know they're concerned of well does then borderlands become an annualized franchise what's happening with the series in general and it seems like borderlands 3 didn't review all that well so i don't know if it can get any worse than R randy pitchford leading your company if i'm being quite honest and maybe i'm being too harsh but what do you think about this whole acquisition chris I had a lot of thoughts when I when I first saw this come across. I thought, boy, this is going to help my my guess that Microsoft is going to end up buying THQ <laughs> <laughs> because now that they have Gearbox, this would be they could like they can kind of write the ship on this. So I thought that that was fantastic. Um, the Randy Pitchford thing, I hadn't really thought too much of um, as far as I did think he was going to be out, but 
in these type of uh, purchases, a lot of times the, the head or the leader or somebody who has the most invested sticks around for two or three years to, to quietly transition things over. And then it's just bought. Yeah. Like, that's part of the contract to be bought out. I think 363 million is like a song to get Gearbox. Like I thought that that was really light. Not that they're worth more, but I just like it just kind of stuck out compared to some other major purchases of, yeah. of studios. Uh, and the other thing I was thinking of is what happens to the movie production? Like, is now that owned by Embracer Group, or was the the the, the movie separate from Embracer? Or like, is, is it Two K Publishing? Like, is yeah. do they have that too? Yeah. Yeah. Do they own that, or who owns that? So I'd be curious to know if they bought that with the anticipation of the film coming out and and that sort of thing too. So um, all in all, I you're right. Gearbox isn't that big of a studio. Um, the title that they own is not that. I mean, Borderlands is a is a semi big title, I guess, but like it just reminds me like of an old school like title, kind of like uh, Gears of War. You know what I mean? Like it used to be good, but like now it just lives off of like a previous generation's namesake and all, that only. So I don't know. Uh, I I think the THQ Nordic is starting to get a little big for its britches, though. I mean, it's I just don't understand where they're making their cash at. Yeah, who knows? And this could all fall apart, right? Like a year yeah. from now, we could hear Embracer Group files for bankruptcy and then all of these things go on sale and who knows what's going on. Um, but yeah, that's Gearbox. If you're a Gearbox fan or a Borderlands fan, hope uh, there's brighter days for you. Can't Like I said, can't get any worse than Randy Pitchford leading your company. So hopefully that changes in the coming years. Uh, next up. Google Stadia has shut down all of its internal development studios. This is news that happened last week, but we didn't cover it because we were doing the predictions podcast. But I still wanted to talk about it here because Dom and I got a chance to initially try out the beta for Stadia way back when, and we got to play Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and it blew us away. And we're not people with, like, gigabit internet or anything, and we were vastly impressed. And then as Google Stadia was announced and everything started coming out, Dom was a little bit more favorable about its success and how good it could do. Uh, he didn't think it was a, you know, a gung ho hundred percent going to work out, but he was definitely more positive. Whereas I was more of the pessimist on this of like, I don't know, you're asking people to buy into a subscription and then buy their games. And Google has a history of not committing to things and your library is going to live on Google. And why would people do that when they already have libraries on steam or Xbox or PlayStation? And, uh, the biggest, the, I guess the toughest thing here is that all of these developers lost their jobs. That's like the number one priority. I could give two shits about Stadia. Sure. The problem is, is that all of these people lost their jobs. Two tremendously talented individuals with a great track record in Jade Raymond and Shannon Studsdale are now out of jobs. For some reason, Phil Harrison, who has failure follow him his entire career, continues to be able to be employed and continues to be able to run these type of things. And it's, baffling to me at this point like nothing personal against the guy but you're seeing hundreds of people lose their jobs and two tremendously talented individuals who could have easily been picked up by playstation or xbox to lead their own studios for them but chose this venture uh with google now are left wondering what they're going to do in a very terrible time to not have a job um and i don't know it's it's really crappy a part of this conversation we can talk about google stating its future but I just wanted to hone in on all these people losing their jobs a year out of them being announced. That's what, that's the thing. It's like, we're not three years in and like their prototypes haven't worked or anything like that. We're talking about a year after the stuff was announced and Google's just like, we're not going to give you the time to see how this plays out. We're done. You know, which it's, sucks. It's crazy. 150 people losing their jobs. I mean, Stadia has from announcement date is 14 months. It's cr and like, they just pull it. Like they just, it's like we did, they didn't even get anything out the door. Like they didn't even get in, like a product out the door. And the fact that they popped this out so early when others were in beta, um, you have Xbox who's like just glad to to currently still be in beta and like not be officially out and about in the world. Yeah, you just need with time. XCloud. Yeah, and, and they wanted to be the first. And so it was so important to be the first and they were the first. And then everything that they had said on, in that, uh, that Stadia Direct like where they're showing YouTubers and you can hop into my game and then you can, you know, 4k, you know, 4k and all, none of that stuff came to fruition. And it wasn't even part of when they dropped it. And then, the, then they did the AMAs and like the AMAs were their version of speaking to their, to their, their product owners. They didn't go to like, uh, like people like on podcasts and like major studios, yeah. like they didn't, they didn't do any of that. And so it, it just felt like DOA 
And then on top of that, they're getting games that are so late to the game. Like, it, we're going to have games that are two, three years old, and those are going to be our new versions of games. I, I just, it's a joke. And I, I feel bad for Stadia, and I hate just crapping on, on new products and new things that are coming out because the tech itself is is great. St I, but it, it needed to be cooked a little bit longer, and they just wanted to get it out of the oven as fast as possible to, to get it out into people's hands. And so I, I, I they just should have waited longer. They should, they should, and on top of that, they should have waited longer and found a way to connect with somebody like Steam or something else in order to make this product as a service, uh, just like Xbox is doing, where you're paying monthly. Because I don't want to. Nobody wants to pay sixty bucks for their game and then pay for a service so they can play this, pay for the sixty bucks that they just paid for their game. It's just ridiculous. The concept of it is ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. It's totally people who don't understand the current gaming landscape trying to get into video games. And this proves once again that just like with Amazon Game Studios, you can have all the money in the world. Doesn't mean it's going to work out. You know what sure, I mean? It's just sure. not the case. And I hope Jade Raymond, Shannon Studsdill, and all of those other developers land on their feet. I posted on Twitter after this happened that like, I would love for PlayStation or Xbox to be like, hey, Jade Raymond, make your own studio. We're going to support it. Let's get going on something because she has a proven track record, just like Shannon Studsdale. All these developers are talented. I don't know if you remember when they were announcing these internal studios, the talent that they were accumulating was insane. It's very similar to the initiative for Xbox where you're hearing yep. these people from Sony Santa Monica and Naughty Dog and all of these beloved studios building this team to try to make something incredible. And now they're just out all out of a job. And the optimist in me is like, okay, they're all going to land on their feet. Eventually it just sucks to have the carpet pulled out from underneath you. Uh, it's a real bummer. And like, I'm, I have no interest in caring about whether Google stadia succeeds or fails at this point. I care more about the livelihood of those human beings. Uh, but to your point, like the technology was great. It just shows that if you don't know what the hell you're doing. It doesn't matter how good your product is. You sure. know? Yeah. So, uh, next up, lastly, I want to end on a bit of a high note. Uh, EA has announced the return of their college football game franchise. This is awesome. Real quick. People are like, okay, why doesn't it have NCAA in the title anymore? That's partly the reason why it's not going to have the official names or likenesses of the players because the NCAA refuses to fully agree to paying their student athletes. Obviously conversation for a complete other day, but I think people misinterpreted EA's language in this, and I know it's easy to shit on EA. They're the bad guy. They're the bad guy. But if you actually look at in their press release, their language, they're playing the bet that the NCAA at some level will reverse that and allow athletes to get their likenesses paid. And they're playing the slow game on this where they're not touching any of that. And then the moments it's allowed, they'll be able to do that. People forget that before uh, EA NCAA football went away, they were actually pushing the NCAA to allow them to pay the athletes. Like they're like, let us pay these people so we can use them in our game. And the NCAA being the NCAA is like, no, we don't want that. So I'm excited because the, the mascot stuff is great. The dynasty builder is like the best football mode in any video game. It completely annihilates anything that Madden has currently going with its stripped down franchise mode. Uh, I have friends who absolutely love college football. It's just a great time. And it may be a couple of years before we get it, but I'm hoping that this, along with a lot of other stuff in politics and, you know, societal pushes in terms of what we want, leads to college athletes being able to be featured in this game. But the announcement, man, this along with Mass Effect Legendary Edition on the same day, Chris, was like the Jared birthday present. <laughs> I like, couldn't believe it. Uh, it's pretty awesome. Like, EA is making a smart move on this because I did read the language um, that they had released, and them announcing it is a nice slow play. Because what it does is it puts a ton of pressure on the NCAA to, to make this happen. And so and they don't actually have to come out with any other information currently until the game comes out. They're gonna, I guarantee you they're going to set this up so that it's so easy that they just click a button and it's like, okay, we're going to add in, you know, so-and-so, like any name, at least initially, just add in names. It doesn't even have to be the likeness part. It could just be names. Because imagine having an EA title that says college football and then not having a single college or NCAA football player on it, including the Heisman Trophy winner from the, or, you know, anticipated Heisman Trophy winner coming in. So it, this is, it's nice to see because I know I have a ton of people who, who love college football and who love the NCAA franchise and were so disappointed when it went away and has been begging for it to come back. The fact that EA has heard that and was like, okay, like now feels like the right time. Maybe they know something or they feel like something's coming down the pipeline. And so this is the opportunity in order to do it. Yeah, exactly. And 
from this point on, you're already getting people used to the idea of playing a game where, and if people aren't familiar with the college football games, it's always been the way that you have to wait for somebody to make the roster in terms of the names, and then you download the roster and everything's good to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's nothing new to players, but with this, you'd be losing the cover athlete, you'd be losing the ability to feature previous college athletes in the like my team mode or anything like that, right? A historical mode or whatever's going on yeah. there. And getting people used to the fact of having a game with all of that stripped out, you're only going to be on the upside from this whenever things get added that are available legally, right? Sure. When they're able to add a cover athlete, when they're able to add all of these features. So like you said, the slow play of introducing it as a barren wasteland and slowly adding things puts them in a good light and it makes the NCAA play from a position of pressure and like, what are you going to do about it? You know? So, well, really you know, and this, this opens it wide open then for NCAA basketball again. So they yeah. can add that, add, add, like, I'm not, I'm not even just EA, but like NCAA basketball being added like to the NBA 2K, like to, to throw that in there too. So I think that that, it, it just opens it up for college athletes in general. And this is always a good thing. Yeah. And obviously they're going to start with football because that's their moneymaker, sure. their breadwinner. And if they can get that going, then yeah, college basketball is going to fall in line with that. And it could be a way for EA to break in because NBA live has failed to compete with 2k forever. Like NBA live is no more a thing. It gets canceled almost every other year. It hasn't been around for a while. So if they're able to introduce college basketball, they can corner that market and not have to worry about competing with 2k in terms of having an NBA product. Yep. So a lot of news we covered. Uh, I don't really have nothing of note in terms of what I've played recently. Kind of just been busy with a lot of stuff. I haven't had a chance to dig into anything meaningful. Last thing I talked about on the show was No Man's Sky, which I dove into, Chris, which was a really interesting experience because I never played it initially. And everyone who listens to gaming podcasts likely knows the story of No Man's Sky, so I don't need to go into that. But it was a really awesome experience. And I think the first 45 minutes of that game, at least the current state of No Man's Sky, is something everyone who considers themselves an avid gamer should check out. Uh, I think it's just a really unique experience in video games. So anybody who has Game Pass, I suggest downloading it, at least checking out the first 45 minutes and having that experience, because I definitely think it's worth it. Um, Other than that, nothing else of note, like I mentioned. Anything you wanted to talk about real quick, Chris, in terms of what you've been playing? I've been playing Hitman 3. Like, I, I've gone through Dubai and Dartmoor, like, initially. So it's just been a lot of fun. Like, it's it's more like monkeying around than it is actually playing a game. It's just, like, trying to figure out ways that I can get through something and how many times I can go through it. The replay value on it's been fantastic, and I really just enjoy my time with it. Getting people to, like, slip on, on banana peels, and that's how they die. Like, the ones that I set up, like, five years ago. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> and that's just cool. following them around and, like, waiting for them to, 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 yeah, for something to happen. But other than that, that's that's kind of it. Like, I, I just feel like I'm, there isn't really anything calling my name. Like, there isn't a game where I get up, in the, like, in the evenings, and I'm just like, you know what? I need to play this. I want to play this. Yeah. I'm kind of the same way. I'm in this weird place where... Do I want to fully dive into Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which I never got around to playing, or do I wait? Because the, the game for me that I'm excited to play next is Little Nightmares 2, which comes out February 11th. Sure. But that's not going to be an extensive thing. That's going to be a couple of nights at most, maybe a night. And I'm going to have a blast with that. But it, we're in this weird holding pattern of, do you play something old? Do you play something new? What's going on? Uh, to your point with Hitman 3, I heard that once you're familiar with the controls and you kind of like feel comfortable playing that game, that turning off the HUD and going to like Dubai and some of the other levels is really magical because you just feel so immersed in that world without all of like the, not that the HUD's intrusive by any means, but it's a really cool experience once you're comfortable with the controls because you do feel like more immersed in trying to, uh, you know, eliminate the target, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, like I said, it's been a lot of fun. It's more like monkeying around. Um, and sometimes you don't even need to have, like, you have to listen to conversations. Uh, but once you get like a feel, it's, it, it literally is like the, the person goes to the same spot every time. So like once you get a feel for the level and you've played it three or four times, you could totally put a podcast on and set up direct targets and, and kind of like, you're almost like a puppet master for the show. And shout out to IO Interactive who very quickly recouped the cost of the game. Like they're already in the in the green for Hitman Three, which is really cool. I think it was in the first three days it made back all of its money and marketing costs for development. So, shout out to them. Really excited to see what they do with uh, James Bond, man. I'm really interested to see how that pans out for them. Yeah. Anyways, that's been it for this week's show. Uh, if you can, Chris, please let people know where they can find you on the internet. Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Topher Dunes, T O P H E R N U N E S. 
Nice. You can follow me uh, individually at Jared Weich. That's J-E-R-R-A-D-W-Y-C-H-E. You can follow Controlled Interest collectively at C-T-R-L-I-N-T. That's Controlled Interest abbreviated. We have an Instagram now. Just search Controlled Interest on Instagram if you want to follow that. Normally just uh, post the podcast when they go live. Uh, if it's just a social media of choice for you, you can go there and, you know, check out when I post the new things, you know, when the new podcast is live. Uh, YouTube search controlled interest will pop right up. Subscribe. If you want to check out the podcast every week, hit the like button. If you enjoy the podcast, the bell notification is important too, because YouTube sub boxes can kind of be weird sometimes. So it'll alert you when we upload the podcast, you don't have to miss it. You'll just get a nice little notification on the top right of your screen. Other than that, you can listen to us on Spotify. That's my podcast recommendation in terms of where I listen. Uh, we're also on all the other services, uh, iTunes, uh, I think Google Play's thing is shutting down soon, if memory serves correct. I think they made an announcement, which, shocker, another Google thing shutting down. Who would have known? Uh, but, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Dom should be back next week, and uh, we'll be talking about whatever gaming news comes out. Thank you guys, as always. Catch you guys then.